This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope until December 31st. Trigger warning, in this episode, we are going to be discussing suicide. So if you or anyone you know is potentially contemplating suicide, please reach out to your primary care provider, a psychiatric provider, or call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how are you? I am great. We have one of our favorite guests, or guest, even. Or guests, uh, yes. Yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. That guy. We have one of our favorite guest hosts. <laughs> Words are hard. Eric is back with us on the show tonight. Eric, if you want to say hello. Yes, thank you all for having me. Yep, and we have another great, fun action-packed exciting look at it's a wonderful life that now i find completely depressing thanks to ben okay now at the end of last week's episode i said we were going to do two things we were going to attack this movie and we're going to ruin christmas now that you've watched this movie do you agree with what is about to happen okay okay well yes in a lot of ways because i think a lot of people tie this movie to christmas but I, it didn't ruin Christmas for me. It just, but this time of year, like this whole, like, oh, people are happy. And then I watch this movie. I'm like, why? Why are we happy about anything? Terrible things happen to good people every day, and we just watch it. Like that's that's how I came away from this, Ben. Well, because of speaking, you. Speaking of the first thing that I want to, and my wife and I got into a heated discussion about this, and I want your guys' opinion on this as well. I agree with Audra. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. This is not a Christmas movie. Oh, that is my take. Profoundly disagree. Yeah, I I gotta say, well, it's certainly a holiday movie. I mean, I don't know that they they do reference Christmas, don't they? Now that I think, they put up a tree. (laughs) Well, yeah, they put up a tree, but I mean, okay. (laughs) Here, here's my points. I'm I'm gonna try to convince you guys, since you're both in that category with apparently my wife. No, no, no. I didn't say I was. I said it's hard to say it's not, though. Okay. The first half of this movie, Christmas is never referenced because it's more of a biopic of George. It's not referenced until the end. I think for it to be a Christmas movie, Christmas has to be an integral part of the story. That story could have happened any other day. That could have been a birthday party that he needed to go to. That could have been a Valentine's party that he needed to go to. There's nothing integral about Christmas itself that makes this a Christmas movie. That's my point one. Point two, the director of the movie, Frank Capra, said, and I quote, I didn't even think it was a Christmas story when I first ran across it. I just like the idea of looking at the examination of the individual's belief in itself. The reason that it has become a Christmas movie. So it was released in 1946, and it uh, was not a great success for the studio. Believe that. The studio accidentally let the copyright lapse. The copyright was for 28 years. Once it lapsed, broadcasters were able to show the movie royalty-free. Yeah. started in 1974. So all these broadcasters started showing this movie in 74, which is when it started becoming more prominent. They started showing it around Christmas, hence why it has become a Christmas movie to people. I do not think it's a Christmas movie. Okay. I'm going to go officially on the record and say... Uh, I believe Ben is correct. I'm going to go on the record and say that every point that Ben has made is accurate. But, but it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> I know it's okay, I'm, I'm just going to say it. 
it is what it is to me, and that's what matters. And apparently, a lot of other people, <laughs> if they believe it's a Christmas movie, too. Well, and, and honestly, I was going to point to that before I heard his very reasonable and cogent thoughts on this movie. It was that's what I associated it with. So by proxy, it is now Christmas to me. Like that's when I watch it. That's when it is. But I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> Christmas vacation is a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's about Christmas. The whole movie is about it's got Christmas in the title of the movie. That should almost be a requirement <laughs> for a Christmas movie. Apparently it is on Hallmark. Cause I mean, like they name every freaking movie on Hallmark, something Christmas. So Christmas or miracle, everything, you know, a smoky mountain Christmas, a Christmas on the Broadway. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I do want to say something about Christmas though. That's not related to the movie that I find extremely fascinating. And I want to throw it in and you can edit it out later if you want. Do either of you know what's happening Christmas day at seven twenty nine AM by any chance? Hmm. The James Webb Space Telescope will be launching from French Guiana into outer space, going a million miles away to unlock the mysteries of the universe. That is a Christmas miracle. That's happening. That's cool. I did not know that. Just so you guys are all aware, there's a great 60 Minutes episode on it. There's lots of cool stuff on YouTube about it. But if any one of these moving parts coming back together, because that's what it has to do to fit in the spaceship. It has to be folded up. So now it has to unfold itself and reconfigure itself in our space. There are no backups. One and done, huh? Wow. <laughs> yes. And it will be, like I said, a million miles away. There is no rescue. There is no backup plan. This is a 15-year project of love and billions of dollars. And hmm. I think it will succeed. But it's one of those like, oh, boy, that's kind of. Think about that for just a minute. All the problems Hubble had. <laughs> and we're, we're shipping this bad boy out a lot further away. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I wanted to make sure everybody heard it. So, well, thank you for that. So Eric, how is, uh, you know, with maybe, you know, cause we've gotten some listeners over the time that you, since you've been on, cause it's been a little bit since you've been on. So you are a psych NP. So I'm sure that you're not busy at all with the, the pandemic and stuff going on. I mean, like you're probably just sitting around playing tiddlywinks, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my role as a psychiatric nurse practitioner Incredibly slow. <laughs> My role as an administrator, even slower now that we've got COVID revving back up. <laughs> yeah, nice and nice and easy. I If we're dropping out really cool stats, I do want to share one thing. A peer-reviewed website called Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Has listed the number one Christmas movie of all time. It's a wonderful life. Just saying. With that type of data driving force behind <laughs> Eric's reasoning, I mean, really, what is there left to talk about, Ben? I, I don't know. I think he's swaying me back in this Judge Judy-esque law argument he made. Yeah, 20 seconds of Google searching right there. So <laughs> I know everything about it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess we'll, we'll just play the end music and we can just call this episode over. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wrap. <laughs> Hey, don't forget to hit the advertisers on our way out, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that stuff. I love that part. Yeah. So, yeah, Ben, we should probably do social media and stuff and talk about that. Yeah, probably. So you can find us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon, all just some podcast or websites, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, jsp at justsomepodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check out our sister shows, Buried Pleasures with Polly and Amazing. Nurse Papa with David Metzger, and of course, the new podcast that we're launching next month with Tom and I called We'll Continue to Monitor. Tom, if they want to help us out, what else could they do? They could go to our lovely website that's going to have all the information listed and talk about the things you just mentioned. They can scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. They'll find an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that before they do any of that last-minute holiday shopping. Then you can add whatever you want to your cart. It helps out us. doesn't cost you a thing. You won't even know we were there, and we would really appreciate it. Speaking of appreciating it, Tom, do you appreciate your 3M Littman Core digital stethoscope? I absolutely do. I am so thankful every day that I get to use that piece of equipment, and I brag about it every chance I get about all the features it has and how much better it has made my ability to take care of my patients. I mean, for you, honestly, what do you feel like is the best feature of it? Well, first of all, mine started with the cardiology for bell and diaphragm. So that's you're starting with really good equipment to start with. But I think the amplification by far 
has made my job so much easier. I'm not saying I wouldn't be able to use another stethoscope now, but it would be like using an iPhone 13 and then going back to like a rotary phone. Like you're like, ah, like I could still use it, but <laughs> like this isn't what I'm used to anymore. Like I said, I've heard things now in people <laughs> and I was like, this doesn't sound right. It's too loud and clear. Like, I think I was hearing something else. And so it's, it is really fantastic. And I think anybody that uses a stethoscope daily should really look into this or, or think about buying one. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I love the amplification and I probably will not ever use another stethoscope if I can help it. If someone wants one, they can find that at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. Use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope until December 31st. All right. Well, Tom, are you ready to jump into this non-Christmas movie, but a Christmas edition <laughs> of our show for It's a Wonderful Life? Number one word. I'm going to be the Switzerland in this argument. Be I'm just going to refer to it as the non-Christmas Christmas movie and uh, go from there. But yes, I am Ben. Eric? Let's do it. So I got to talk to you guys about beforehand. I kind of want to do this in two parts. The first part is I want to talk about what this movie is and then... The second half of our episode, we'll kind of speculate on some things uh, of what the movie could have been or, or maybe, I don't know. So with that being said, the reason we have Eric on is because uh, this movie is depressing as hell. Um, <laughs> Thank you. There's And there's quite a bit of what? <laughs> when you step back and watch it a after we talk about it, because that's what Ben did to Eric and I. When you think about it in the ways that we're going to describe it, you start going, wow, this is really not a fun movie to watch anymore. I'm kind of sad now. And that's how you will sit there. Yeah. So my first concern about the movie, Ben, wonderful pick, two hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Some light reading. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. Number two is I was going to watch it in two parts and thank God I didn't because if I would have stopped before the end of the movie, I probably wouldn't have gone to work today. <laughs> like I would have been in rough shape. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I mean, so I had never prior to this episode, full full disclosure, like I knew bits and pieces of the movie. I knew the lines, you know, the the famous lines that you hear from the movie. I don't know that I'd ever sit down and actually watched it from beginning to end before. And when I did, I was like, I mean, I really did. I got done. I'm like, wow, that was just I mean, you feel so bad for the guy all the way through the movie. Like all the guy wanted was to get out of town. Like that was what? his sole goal in life. And it, he never accomplished it. I want to actually hear something else. So there is a colorized version of it's a wonderful life. And I will be a hundred percent honest. So I watched it colorized because I never had before. I have watched it beginning to end. And obviously, always watch it the traditional black and white. When I watched it in color, it didn't seem as gloomy, legitimate. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, it didn't quite seem as bad. So tonight, just as like, I don't know, a refresher, <laughs> I was just like, I put it on while I was doing some stuff, but the original version, and I turned around, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it feels like I'm in a dark alley now, and I don't know. I know that sounds dumb, and I was going to ask Eric, color. When people associate stuff like that, is there some science or anything behind people that associate or is black and white known to make you feel worse? And if you don't know, that's okay. But I really felt that way. Man, I don't, I don't know that answer, but I'm not shocked by the fact that you feel that way. I haven't watched it in color and I'll tell you, man, it, there were parts of it that was rough. I, yeah. I think for, for people who don't understand or who haven't actually watched this movie, it's, it's about a guy named George Bailey. And it basically starts where a bunch of kids are having fun and yeah. one of them almost drowns. Yeah. His brother. Yes. And then he has to sacrifice himself to get to his brother. Yeah. And so he, he saves his brother and in turn gets a lifetime disability, loses hearing. And then fast forward to him working in a pharmacy where the pharmacist makes an error. He doesn't deliver the medicine because he knew that an error was made. And then the pharmacist beats him. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, some of that is because I think if you look at it through 2021 eyes. Oh, yeah. To look back at a movie, you're like, that would never fly nowadays. But I mean, it was just like, holy shit. 
like I said, I'd never seen that part. And so like, yeah, when that pharmacist starts slapping him and then his ears bleeding and he's like screaming, I'm like, my God, like this is horrible. Oddly enough, the one thing that I was going to talk about with the color versus black and white is the part we just talked about. I'm not going to say it was easier to watch, but it almost seemed old timey, right? When it was black and white, like, oh, the guy slapped a kid. I guess that was acceptable in 1919. I don't know. Like, you know, whatever. I, I'm not saying I blew it off, but it it just didn't seem as shocking when he was colorized and it looked like a modern and you just see this old guy wailing on a kid. You're like, whoa, bro. Like, that was my first thought was I can't believe this dude is just right hooking this kid to his face. But I didn't have that same reaction when it was black and white. And I just thought that was weird. The rest of the movie kind of flip flopped back and forth. But the kid getting hit in color seemed more lifelike. And so I think I had a worse reaction to <laughs> watching him get hit. But that also made me think, wow, how much power did pharmacists have back in the day? They could just be like, eh, I'll put some rat poison in your capsules. And that could have happened. George Bailey saved that girl's life. And you know what he got for it? An ass beaten. That's what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. No, thanks, Ben. So glad that that'll teach you kids to do the right thing. Yeah. Merry yeah. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Merry, Merry Christmas. Pop. Now, to be fair. Yes, he, you know, did get his ass beating. But I mean, the pharmacist did realize his mistake. And then. Yeah. 40 years later. Cool. Yeah. As it plays out. I mean, you know, he the pharmacist goes out of his way to do good things for George because he did save his career. So don't just be all like doom and gloom, Tom. Okay. Well, it, it's hard not to, but that's where you start to see what, it, I mean, he saved his brother's life. He he took an ass beating to save another person's life. Like, man, this is such a great guy. So what, what good things is life going to give him next, Ben? Yeah. Ben, please. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Ben. What, what riches is the universe going to shower on George from, the minute he's born, basically helping out everyone around him, how does he get repaid, Ben? Well, he does meet the girl of his dreams. So great. Yeah, let me talk on that real quick. So <laughs> he's got this smoke show of a lady, Donna Reed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, beautiful woman. I didn't see the colored version. One thing leads to another. He's trying to spit some game, ends up getting her naked in a bush. Yeah. Right. And you're thinking good things are going to happen. And then they don't. Unbeknownst to the audience, a car pulls up and says, hey, dude, your dad had a stroke. You need to get in. Yeah. With naked girl in the bush. Yeah. You're that close. And-, <laughs> and then he's trying to help out his father's company and get sucked into staying in town. All he wanted to do was leave, see the world and come back and get educated and and all of those wonderful things. So he stays at the company to help keep it together and then uses his money he was going to have for college to put his brother through college. Yeah. And it, then this Great Depression happens. Yeah. And his, oh, yeah. The Great Depression. That's how big a depression it was, Ben. They had to put an adjective. They put a superlative on it. It said it was the Great Depression. That's well, how big it was. They had it just as the depression, but I mean, it just didn't sound as good. So you had to. Yeah, that's, you know. The original hype man didn't think it was going to be big enough. Actually, now that Eric said that, that was one thing I wanted to point out with the movie is he's getting ready to go off to college. Yay. Everything's going to be great. Dude, it's Jimmy Stewart. He's like 47. <laughs> like I, I had real trouble believing George Bailey just graduated high school. I'm like, that guy has a limp. Okay, like he has arthritis in his left knee. That guy is not going to college. I don't know what's going on. So I thought that was a casting error. But other than that, hard life. <laughs> yeah, well, you're hard right. What, what was I thinking? He pro- 19 years old in 1940s. He's got no hearing out of his ear. He gets his ass beat. And yeah, every time he meets a chick, somebody in his family has a stroke. You're right. That guy would look 47 with a limp. <laughs> that is 100% accurate now that I think about it. Thank you, Eric. So, yes, he does get married to uh, the, the girl that was naked in the bush. and uh, yeah. But then he has to give away all his money. They're getting ready to go on their honeymoon. Yeah. They're going to travel the world. And then that's when the Great Depression happens. And his building and loan business is uh, about to be you know shut down and uses his own money to help out the town, help out yeah. the townspeople. Except for that one guy. Yeah, what a dick. The first guy, yeah, the $242 guy. You know what? 
let me talk about this for a second because I can understand. Hey, $242 back then was probably like, what, $5,000? Like, I mean, that's a substantial amount of money. Yeah. This guy's worried. He wants to feed his family. And I can actually understand to a point him saying, I want my, I want my money. Until he saw every other person go, look, I only need $20. And if we stay in this together, we'll get by. And he chose to be an asshole and <laughs> demand his $242. Yeah, and for the audience, why that really matters is because the banking company that he operated was basically for people who, who were living in poverty and couldn't otherwise qualify for funding. And so there's this rich, evil dude, Mr. Potter, who is like just your classic big corporation kind of guy in 2021, who is wanting people to continue to rent from him so they can never climb out of poverty. And, and basically... Our boy George says, no, like, screw you, dude. I'm going to help these people buy and own their homes, even though they're high risk. Man, just incredible. He says that to them. He said, you will never, another nice home will never be built in Bedford Falls if Potter owns this this building. He says that to them. He lets them in on the secret. Like, hey, we can fight this together and we can continue to do all the great things we're doing if we just stick together, if we don't let fear beat us. But again, human greed rears its ugly head. Thanks again, Ben. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Ben. Merry Christmas, Ben. Great, Ben. Oh. He's now got $2 to his name, Ben. But the beauty of it, they were so damn proud of those $2, they went and put it in the safe. Because they took care of the people that needed taken care of. Yeah, well, that's all they had to hold on to, literally. Both both emotionally and physically were those $2. Because yeah. life was just kicking the shit out of him, Ben. Thanks. You're welcome. So then he has multiple chances to kind of get rich. A couple of different friends of his that want to get him in on the ground floor, some different things. And again, timing being what it is for George just never, never pans out. And... He, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some hints of alcoholism in the movie as well. I mean, and, and I think you start to see the beginnings of not that he wasn't depressed before this, but you start to see the outward signs right around in here. Isn't this when he finds out his brother wins the Medal of Honor? Yeah. Yeah. The war he couldn't fight in, which shamed him because he had the the injury from saving a person's life. So something he should be proud of is now causing him internal pain. All his buddies, they even show little flashes of them at war, saving people's lives, doing all these heroic things. So now he's got to listen to all his buddies who went and served and served together and did all these great things. Now he had to be the guy that stayed home. And then his little brother wins the Medal of Honor, which he's proud of, which he is proud of for his brother. But you start to see like I even remember like after he reads a telegram, like he just looks at the ground like, but I wasn't there. Like when he thinks about his buddies and he talks to them, I'm just like, my God, man, like that is just terrible because he should be proud. George Bailey is a great guy, but yet all he sees is all the terrible things around him. And one thing to note, too, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm lost in the timeline, but a piece of this was when, when George Bailey sent his brother to college, he was going to wait four years, let his brother finish school, and his brother was going to come back and take over the business so he could go travel. Yeah. Brother comes back with his wife. He's got a job lined up where his wife's from. And so once again, George puts someone else in front of himself. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. To allow him to live up to their dream. And George is at home serving, I guess, the poor. Which is something we should be saying is admirable. But poor George. Jeez, this guy just can't catch a break. Well, and that's an important point to think about is... I think if all of us look at it in a vacuum, all of those are incredibly admirable things. And how I started feeling as I was watching this show is I was getting more and more, I think I felt bad for George, but I was also getting more and more frustrated with his situation, right? I think from a movie perspective, they did a really good job going through that narrative to let us feel kind of what George was probably feeling. Oh, no, I agree with you. And I think, I mean, because you get through the movie or not through the movie completely, but I mean, you, as you're going through the movie, you you just want one thing to work out for. Like you just want him to have that one thing, whether it's, you know, finally leaving Bedford Falls or whatever, 
you know, you're rooting for him and then it just never happens. And so things are going well, right? We're coming up at the end. His uncle has a $8,000 deposit. So think back to that time frame, $8,000, is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole business. That yeah. whole business is in his uncle's hands. His uncle, which, which I don't think we shouldn't overlook this. His uncle starts to talk a little bit of shit to this Mr. Potter guy who's now older, uh, really stuck in a wheelchair. So he's talking a little bit of shit to this Mr. Potter ends up somehow losing the envelope of 8,000 to the evil guy. And now after he's got four kids or three kids or however many he has, his house is remodeled. All of this stuff is going on. Things are looking good for him. He's going to get audited. Yeah. The bank officer's there. Yeah. 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 8,000 short. Yeah. That's called embezzlement boys. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's, what Potter tells him. He's like, you know, we're going to, you know, issue a warrant for your arrest for embezzling $8,000. And for George, he sees no way out other than to get good and intoxicated and contemplate jumping off the bridge. Which obviously none of us ever want to see. But at the same time, they did a really good job of laying the groundwork. <laughs> like, you're this great guy. You've you've spent your entire life trying to make other people happy and helping them succeed only for life to continually kick you in the teeth. I'm never going to say that that's the right answer, but I can certainly see how a person gets pushed to the brink when their entire life is this series of events. So that was going to be my question for you, Eric. So let's take it back to just before him contemplating suicide. Yeah. Let's play like, okay, let's say George walked into your office. What type things are you going to die potentially diagnose him with? Now I understand you can't obviously formally diagnose because he's not truly a patient and we're just basing it off the movie. But I mean, kind of what are some things that would be going through your mind? Well, I mean, a, a couple of things. And first of all, without giving any really detail, man, unfortunately I've treated many Georges in my career and you can look at his history and you can look at some of the things that he had been through and some of the down periods that he's had. And I think it's reasonable to, to make the assumption that he's had recurrent episodes of depression. And so naturally the first thing that jumps out is major depressive disorder. And then as Tom picked up on one of the ineffective coping skills that was displayed, it was alcohol consumption. And if you look back, you really don't see a ton of alcohol use until he was really getting down. That's a good point. I never thought about that until you just said it. I was like, oh, that is right. You don't ever see a bottle in his hand till then. Because the, even then, he the only time he had touched alcohol that I, I can remember is when they spiked the punch at the dance. You know, so like he never really did anything with it. So, yeah, I'm assuming you're saying alcohol is bad in this case. Yeah. So the rule of thumb when it comes to legal substances that are mind altering used to feel even better, not better. Right. Don't get in the habit of drinking because you're down. Don't get in the habit of smoking because you can't sleep or smoking because you're anxious. If you're going to choose to interact with those things, do so from a point of, I'm good. I'm just looking to feel a little bit better and understand the potential risks of doing that. Now, would you consider potentially like a PTSD from like either his brother trying to die and him saving his life? Or I mean... Do you think there was enough traumatic events in his life that could potentially trigger a diagnosis like that? Well, sure. But, you know, you always have to remember, and we've talked about this in a previous podcast, I think, because one thing's traumatic for me does not necessarily mean it's traumatic for him. So what we don't see is we don't see reliving experiences. We don't see, we really don't see any emotional reactivity until like things are really falling apart and he's really depressed. And we don't see avoidance behaviors like he doesn't purposely avoid things because of the hard stuff that he's been through. So I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's had, he's had trauma exposure, but I, I don't think they showed enough symptoms to say, yeah, man, I think he's got PTSD. But what would be interesting is if this film was created in 2020, where we know so much more about PTSD and we know the implications of that, uh, that may not have been something that they were, would even consider. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's interesting because the point of view that you just pointed out, something that's traumatic to me is not so much going to be traumatic to Eric. So in that case, let's look at the whole context of the movie. I mean, at the time when the kids you know, fell through the ice, that's the 1920s. No offense, uh, child death rates were 
astronomically high compared to what they are now. And honestly, maybe a kid falling through the ice, not that it wouldn't be traumatic to George or his parents, but in the greater context of society, they're like, hey, we still have children, no child labor laws at this point in America. Maybe that wasn't meant to be as traumatic. It was just supposed to be. That's how George got injured, you know, but to us in 2021, a kid falling through the ice is like all stops are pulled. You know, there is no mile we won't reach. Hmm. But in 1919, you know, they just got through World War One and stuff. They're like, yeah, you know, I mean, stuff happens like realistically reading books from that time era. Again, people were harder. Like life was harder. So, again, I think that point of view of maybe it wasn't as traumatic to George is something inherently true. The movie got that part right. Hmm. Look at Tom with an epiphany. I'm impressed. Oh, yeah. I won't let it happen again. I'm sorry. I I'm feel just... like I bring out the best in Tom. I'm, I'm <laughs> Apparently just so. I'm... Wow. Yes. <laughs> Does anybody so, know what a hypotenuse is? Suddenly I had that word in my mind. I don't know. So as he's on the bridge contemplating jumping into the water, when we finally get to meet Clarence, you know, we heard voiceovers from him throughout the beginning of the movie or throughout the movie as they're kind of reliving his life and he's getting educated on the person that he's supposed to be saving. But that's the opportunity where we get to meet him. And then he gets to the idea when George is, you know, saying that he wishes he'd never been born and everybody would be better off without him. Gets the idea, well, let's show him what your life is like without you there. And I think, and go ahead. Let me hop in because uh, there was a profound thing that happened, right? We talk about this guy over and over again who puts others in front of himself. So how does the angel, Clarence, save him by putting himself in danger so george has to save him absolutely the angel for people who haven't seen it jumps into the river so then george is like holy shit i gotta save this guy so he jumps into the river and saves him and clarence literally says that yes when they're like why did you jump in the river he goes to save you i knew yes. you'd save me and so i was like holy crap way to go clarence and your bed sheet for underwear so, <laughs> I mean, but it is a valid point. I had not thought about that, but yeah, I can see the walls cracking, Eric. No, I didn't he's, say he's that. Ready, he's getting ready to come down. <laughs> <laughs> no, now, okay. Here's my take on when they begin to show him what life would be like if he was never born, or you know, if he never existed, or whatever the case may be. Which I think, because of this movie, has become kind of a cliche thing that movies. I mean, I think I've, you've seen other movies do this, and I think it's because of this. Absolutely. So I'm not saying it doesn't have a place in history. It's just not a Christmas movie. <laughs> but Number one. Uh, that's not peer reviewed. <laughs> Did anybody else, and, and maybe this is the wrong take on this, and I'll I'll take the fire for it. That's fine. Did the town not look a little better off without George? I guess it was Pottersville, so it wasn't New Bedford. But I mean, like, they got a, you know, a bustling nightlife. They got all this other stuff going on. People clearly aren't living in poverty, or at least they didn't appear to be. Okay, but what happened when George talked to the people? Well, obviously, at first he was confused because nobody knew who he was, and he thought they were messing with him. Right. But every person, when they talked or you heard them talking to each other, because there's a scene, the guy who drives the taxi cab, I can't think of his name. He was talking to some other guy. And what were they doing? They were bitching about like the prices of their house or something like that. I don't remember what it was. But the point is, as I was getting is, yeah, on the outside, it looked all shiny and bright. But the people were actually having worse lives. Yeah. And remember, we may have only seen the affluent people. And that's something that we, we can't forget. All the poor people had to leave. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. In the taxi driver himself, he said, the character said, hey, how's your how's your wife? And. And he's like, she left me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Ben. Thanks for pointing out how great everyone was having with their wives leaving them and everyone bitching about their crippling debt. No, 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 you're right. It must have been so much better. Did the town look better as Pottersville? Yeah, hell yeah, it did. Getting fired up. <laughs> but here's what I want to point out. And I don't think, and, and, and I think they, this was done on purpose. Go back and look at the movie and how many of the businesses were prostitution. And strip clubs. Quite a few. And yes. bars. And so what you saw in my, this is just my opinion. What you saw was, yeah, things were shiny and things were bright. But if you look at 
as religious people would say, the amount of sin or the amount of darkness from the light and all of the not so great things that came from it. It was like evil winning out, right? It was evil winning. Fair point. Um, you know, Fair point. now that you say how many strip clubs were there, I don't know. I'm getting inclined to agree with Ben's original assertion <laughs> that <laughs> Pottersville is actually way cooler than Bedford Falls. Fired hold, up, hold up. Hold on. I think we actually need to rewind a little bit. <laughs> so multiple bars and strip clubs on every block. I don't know. You know, now that Eric points it out, I got to say, George was right. <laughs> He's like light with the world was better without him. Okay. Sure. So show's over. I didn't okay. say, I would just think that the town looked, but I mean, but Eric makes a valid point. So I'll give you that. To quote one of the, the great American cinematic events of my lifetime, the hangover. That's someone's daughter. Okay. Oh boy. Oh, oh, now oh yeah. 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 Yeah, well, probably need to edit that one out for the white. <laughs> no, I stand. I said what I said. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, but wow, that was the low shot, though, Eric. I touche, sir. There you go. Okay, so then if your theory is correct and, and Pottersville was not as good, you know, it was bright and shiny, but it was worse than Bedford Falls. What do you find? What do you think was the final nail in the coffin for George to realize that life was better with him? Because, like you know, he went to the bar and no one knew him. He got thrown out. Went and talked to his mom. Went to try to talk to would have what would have been his wife. So, I mean, at what point do you really think that he went? Okay, maybe life is better with me. I mean, for me, and where I had probably my most countertransference or I empathize with him the most is when he was looking for his kids, right? He's, yeah. he's running around, he's screaming for his kids in that house that wasn't built. And he's like, Holy shit. Well, gone. Yeah. And that's just where it kind of really sunk in for me because I mean, your kids, I mean, it's just a different type of feeling. It's a different type of love. And yeah, I agree. I actually took it a little different. I, I did take it. He certainly saw like, okay, I'm Martini's where it was now Nick's or whatever it was called. Not that he had anything against Nick. Obviously he didn't. He liked Nick. He was actually imploring him like, Nick, you're my buddy, you know, talking to him. But he realized Martini and them don't exist anymore because he wasn't there. And, and Clarence points that out. But I think that's really, to me, like 30%. I think it was 70% him realizing how much he loved his life. Mm. Not so much. I mean, he did see how much he did for other people. But I think Eric hit it on the head is when he sees Donna Reed. I can't remember her name right now in the movie, but when he sees Mary. his wife, Mary, when he sees his wife and she's looking at him like a total stranger, I think it was a combination. I think it was that 30 percent man. You know, people really did need me around, but 70 percent of how much I loved what I did. And he learned to appreciate what he had, whether it was meager or not. And I think that realization is what snapped him out of it. And the reason I hold on to that strongly is because when he gets back and things are back and Clarence snaps his fingers and, you know, he's he walks up to the guy and the guy's like starting to pull a thing. Out. He's like, yep, that's the warrant from my arrest. Thank you. Oh, you're the bank examiner. Yep. Eight thousand short. Don't know what to tell you, basically, you know, but he didn't care. He was that was joy. That was the unadulterated joy of a person that actually enjoys their life. And it's because he wanted to see his kids. He could not give a shit about what those guys standing there had to say. He just wanted to see his wife and kids. And when he did, nothing else mattered. And so I think it was more him learning to love what he had versus not just how much he did for everybody else. And then the bell rings and kids <laughs> swings. And... <laughs> yeah. Now, well, so the town comes together because George needed help. Yeah. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it once since 1947. Well, I, I think we're <laughs> beyond a spoiler alert. I mean, I think, oh. I think that died with the copyright. Should uh, we do that? Should we? No, spoiler. We don't ruin our fair. What if Bjorn's never seen this? Like, I'm, this may not be a hit in Norway, okay? So maybe we should put out a new. The town comes together to uh, help George 
And so they pulled all their money together to help him out. And yeah, $242 guy shows up. It's apparently a Christmas miracle. And that's what makes it a Christmas movie, I guess. Or because there's a bell on the tree that rings. And so now the bell on the undecorated tree that we now get our wings. (laughs) So I I just want to point out uh, uh, just a couple of things. I I just want to I want to run this down from my perception. You've got a guy who has done everything right for the most part, like any regular human, done everything right, thought of others, put others in front of themselves constantly. And one thing we left out earlier is the whole reason why he was contemplating suicide is because he was sitting uh, with Mr. Potter begging for money. Mr. Potter told him no, said, I'm going to turn you into the police. And he said, what do you have of value? And he said, I have a $15,000 life insurance policy. And Mr. Potter looked at him and said, you're worth more dead to your family than you are alive. Right? God. And even in, so I try a lot with my patients who have attempted or, or complete suicide. I, for a moment, I, I want to think of their perception because what did I miss as their clinician? And you have a guy who's put others in front of him his entire life. And then he's up at this moment that he's not even responsible for. He didn't lose the money. And the last thing that he can give somebody is his life. So he could get 15000 pay the eight off to the bank, and his family would have seven. So I, I, I think even, uh, I mean, people call suicide selfish a lot, and, and I think that's a hard line to walk. But I think in his final act, he was prepared to do that for his family. Hmm. And I, as I'm watching this, I think to myself, what has healthcare done the last 18 months? What is our emergency room nurses, our COVID medical floor nurses, our ICU nurses, every nurse, every nurse practitioner, every physician, pharmacist, medic, respiratory therapist, respiratory therapist, um, insert discipline. What have we continuously done? We, we have put people in front of ourselves hmm. to potentially our detriment to healthcare workers who have lost lives. Hmm. And I think that's kind of where my mind went throughout this. And so what are we seeing in healthcare now? We see a lot of depressed fucking healthcare providers. 100%. We see people falling apart, people's lives falling apart, marriages falling apart, severing relationships with your children, just like exactly what happened in this story. Alcoholism, ineffective coping, Mm. and suicide. And so we need more clearances. We also need to take a moment and say, man, let's take care of ourselves. Let's look at all the great, wonderful things that we have. And let's find a way to find a deeper appreciation for it. Because unfortunately, we're probably not going to find a clearance in our life. So that was my take when I watched this episode. And I didn't know if it was divine intervention or what it was, but I, I, that was my perspective. Bullshit, it's a Christmas movie now, okay? That was amazing, by the way. I mean, my perspective is oh. Ben's no longer allowed to pick movies. <laughs> for no us to talk about. Invite you to talk about something fun every <laughs> once in a while. Well, I, Eric, I promise I got you. Had I not picked that movie, we would not have had that monologue that I want to clip and just post because that was so incredibly true. And it is incredibly true. Wow. I mean, that's sad not- and accurate and powerful. And what I hope is that people that aren't in healthcare that listen to our show hear that. And they do, Tom, and that's the beautiful thing. I So in, in, here's another thing that, that isn't pointed out enough, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep rambling. No. George, what's the one thing he didn't do? Leave town? He didn't go ask for help. Ah, okay. Well, there's that. He, he wouldn't beg Mr. Potter, right? Like begging the CEO of the healthcare organization you work for, right? I mean, but he never went and asked his peers. He never went and asked the people that he was serving. He never asked them to help fill his cup. He was always giving, giving, giving. Mm-hmm. And man, that's where we're finding ourselves, except these beautiful things. Like when I pull up to work and one of our local manufacturing plants, made a healthcare or heroes poster every time I walk into my building or those incredibly powerful videos of nurses getting off work in Europe and everybody standing out on their stoops and applauding them. 
in a world where we're firing, and, and regardless of your COVID vaccine belief, in a world where we're firing who were heroes 18 months ago, I think there are a, a ton of beautiful things out there. If we, you, me, everyone, are more purposeful about sharing them, and maybe that's how we find our own clearance. Maybe that's, that's how we be the clearance for someone who's struggling, and we don't even know it because they're too proud to even ask. Yeah, I very rarely am I rendered speechless on this podcast, yeah. but you yeah, you came on my podcast and made me stop talking. Okay, so <laughs> and I'll I'll tell you right now, I don't know in four years that's not happened very many times. Thanks, Ben. Merry Christmas, Ben. Yeah, I'm yeah. You. but again, without this movie, we would not have gotten that epiphany and. We all need to be, he's, he's doubling down on this. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> we all need to be more Clarence. We more all need to be more people that are, you know. People need to be more people. Well, I, like I mean, that. like the townspeople who, you know, step had George ask for help. As you can see with the movie, I mean, everybody stepped in. So, I mean. They did. From a healthcare perspective, maybe that's what more people need to do is. I mean, I think you do see that with you lean on coworkers, you lean on the people that are around you. But I mean, we do need to do a better job of elevating each other to survive this pandemic. Agreed. Yeah. And to the non-clinical people out there, lift up your healthcare providers because we are human just like you. You know, even before the pandemic, when somebody would make a mistake and everybody wanted to like, especially patients, patients, families, wanted to get down on somebody, I... I was quick to say, you, you realize we're human, right? You're asking us to do incredible things, and we are usually, but sometimes we're going to fail, and that's just something that happens, and I'm sorry, you know, and, and sometimes, and I don't mean for anything big. I'm talking for, like, when people get mad that they didn't get apple juice fast enough. I'm like, well, I'm sorry that the human being that was supposed to be getting it for you was literally saving someone else's life. You're going to have to deal with your apple juice thirst for just another couple minutes. But I hope that if people listen to this and they get Eric's message, that's what is conveyed. I, I don't need a lot out of life. Just maybe, hey, help out a healthcare worker when you see one, or if you know one, let them know that you care. And it, it goes a long way. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Simple and powerful. Okay, well, can we have some fun now that I depressed everybody and... Yeah. Yeah, please. In my head, I had a whole little cutscene of me just going across America meeting CEOs of hospital systems. And I'm like, hi, my name's Tom. I need you to start fixing things. And if they're like, well, I'm like, well, that's what my boy Eric's here for. And then Eric just walks up and slugs him in their face. And I'm like, see? (laughs) It's got to be off that show. Gosh darn it. Uh, Basically, where Ashton Kutcher and some chick gets married... And the last scene is this woman's crouching on her knee and the dude behind her knocks on the door. And right when the doors open, it's a jump punch. And all they say is, you know why? And they walk off. I like yeah, it. See, there you go. That's what I say. Just randomly, we all take turns. Sometimes Eric introduces Ben. Sometimes Ben introduces me. But either way, it's just one of us standing there like, I need you to fix things. I need you to acknowledge what's going on and then fix things. And if they do anything but say, yes. Just jump punch. Yeah, yeah, jump, jump, yeah punch. just bam. Just do it. So well, while we have been able to look at this movie for what it is, and apparently it is a Christmas movie, I'll admit that now because Eric made me feel bad. Uh, Greatest Christmas movie. <laughs> number one, according to Entertainment Weekly. Not <laughs> um, Bingo. <laughs> let's, let, let's play in the mental health realm for a minute. Yeah. What if... George is schizophrenic. Yeah. What if none of this happened? What if this is a hallucination? I could see in, is, is watching this movie, like all it's missing is like the M night Shyamalan, like, you know, I see dead people reveal at the end where like, it just cuts to George and he's in a mental hospital. Yeah. Or cuts to George and he's still in the pond. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Look at Eric Christ. We could write a movie with this guy, but okay. Eric, <laughs> So legitimate. Okay, let's say it's not schizophrenic. What would you say? Like, what type of condition would do something like that? Well, so so first off, there is. It's important for people to know that 
that there's major depressive disorder with psychotic features. And the etiology behind that is the fact that someone's so profoundly depressed that their neurotransmitter dysfunction is so profound, it's led to psychosis. Typically, it manifests within the context of delusional ideas. But yeah, uh, one thing, he doesn't meet criteria for schizophrenia because it's not a progressive insidious onset, right? It happens pretty quickly. But one thing within the realm of possibility is the idea that this is a delusional disorder. And how you differentiate delusional disorders versus schizophrenia is one, negative symptoms, right? So he was still feared okay. He was taking care of himself, socially engaged. Cognitively, he was still intelligent. But his hallucinations were within the context of his delusion. So therefore, it would not be hallucinations plus delusions equals schizophrenia. It would be delusions with associated hallucinations equals delusional disorder. And would alcohol make that worse? Absolutely, it could. Absolutely, absolutely it could. I got a two-part question then. What typically, if anything, is there any sort of specific trauma or anything that usually fractures a person's psyche for them to start developing these types of disorders? And then on top of that, let's say somebody is confirmed to have that. How do you start treatment for it? Well, yeah. So any trauma has the potential to exacerbate these symptoms. A lot of this stuff, though, is age dependent. So with schizophrenia, and you guys could have me on to talk about schizophrenia one day because I'm not going to do it justice now. But with schizophrenia, there are layers of the illness. So premorbid, prodromal, acute, and then residual. That's all lives in schizophrenia. You don't diagnose it until they're acutely sick. So that's one of the, one of the things that you can, how you can differentiate it out. Any really trauma, brain anatomy, genetics, all of those things can contribute. Poisons. I mean, the guy's back in the 1940s. Who knows what he was exposed to? Poisons are a way to induce this heavy metal toxins. And then how do you treat it? The really crappy part is delusional disorder typically doesn't respond to antipsychotics. And so that's one of its clinical features. Like if you're thinking, hey, this is schizophrenia and you're treating them and they don't have negative symptoms and they're not responding to an antipsychotic, wrong diagnosis. And so you have to revisit, reevaluate. Therapy, challenging the delusion is how people typically get better. But man, it is a, a very poor outcome, very poor outcome. Prognostically, the, the rates are very low. So basically, no matter what, George is up a shit creek without a paddle. Bingo. Okay. To be this far along to believe that you're diving into a river to save someone within the context of a delusion disorder, that's a problem. Could the uh, trauma of the pharmacist beating his ass? Because, I mean. (laughs) Just the way you said that. Sorry. I was like, that's not funny. But just the way he said it, I just couldn't stop. My first thought is, you know, so he has blood come out of his ear, which I mean. As we all know with ER, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Like, you see blood I mean, out of an ear. That's a, that's a, that's I mean, a Could problem. it just yeah. be something as simple as a ruptured TM? Certainly. Could it be a brain bleed? I mean, you know, is there CSF in that? I mean, you don't yeah. know from this. Do you think something like that could have potentially caused problems down the, down the road? Well, absolutely. And also, also don't forget that this is the same pharmacist that was getting ready to poison another child. Maybe there's serial... Who's to say he's not? And you look at toxins in neurodevelopment. I was going to say, lead-based paint everywhere. Yeah. On your cooking, like plates were made with lead-based paints. Asbestos, hey, that stuff's really helpful. I put it in my oven mitts. Yeah. So poisons, especially when people bitch about like the FDA and OSHA, I'm like, yeah, well, (laughs) be happy you don't have lead-based paints and asbestos all around you 24 hours a day. I can see a lot of this, you know, seeping into him over time. Yeah, we're, we're, you have a recipe for disaster. Well, yeah, and, and long-term exposure to copper and other metals uh, can contribute to the onset of psychosis. And the the thing of it is, heavy metal psychosis and brain injury psychosis would not be insidious like schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a diagnosis once all the other stuff's been ruled out. Right. And so 
all of that could be, if this was a psychotic disorder, all of that could be reasonable precipitant factors. So theoretically, you could do like a metal chelation therapy and see if he improves? Well, I mean, you would surmise that the damage has been done. Okay. Right. Over his developmental period of time. So let's say it is a metal. There's, yeah, there's no coming back. You're going to do what you can through therapy, but there's not really... And you would think, I mean, at least I would, and I don't know any literature out there. So if there's any psych experts that disagree with me, you're probably right. I would assume that antipsychotics would manage some of these symptoms if it was heavy metal based, at least some of the irritability and the aggression. I had a thought just now with the whole delusion aspect of it. If you take it back to the point where he's standing on the bridge, which is where he sees Clarence for the first time, what if, because of the way that George is, as far as puts people before himself he doesn't have the balls so to speak to jump off the bridge himself so in that delusion he creates clarence he creates clarence to have a reason to jump into the water so clarence is an invisible buddy yeah when you look at trauma related illness as you were talking about earlier ben depersonalization derealization those are subcategories of trauma and i mean it'd be a stretch but i mean that's applicable and also too Things you have to remember is periods of stress increase dopamine. And so that's why a lot of our young people who are having psychotic episodes, it's happening, you know, end of high school, early college, because the academic rigor is so high. This guy, I mean, he could have an acute exacerbation and become psychotic. There's also a brief psychotic disorder. That's a diagnosis as well, where people will get psychotic and we don't know why, but they get better. So is it like an idiopathic psychosis? It can be. And a significant majority of people don't end up becoming psychotic again. It's like a one-time thing. Hmm. That's interesting. And terrifying. And when we think about that disease, it's typically these overwhelming, crazy amounts of stress. Let's assume Clarence's... Would Clarence be a delusion or he would be a hallucination because he's interacting with him, right? Well, so it all depends. So if this is delusional disorder, it's all kind of wrapped up into its own thing uh, as a delusion because you can have hallucinations within the context of a delusion. But if it's a psychotic episode, then yeah, he would be a hallucination standalone. Yeah. So let's just for last shits and giggles, let's say Ben is 100% right. George just snapped. Clarence is a projection from his head what is that like is that that psychosis or would that be like disassociative identity disorder something like that or is that not considered a split because i mean that's a whole nother person yeah so dissociative identity disorder i i will be one of those people i'll probably offend people on the podcast i'm sorry for the poor you came to the right place i don't believe that's a thing i don't think did is an actual thing i think it's a manifestation of trauma I think they have depersonalization, derealization, secondary to trauma exposure. But Clarence, it would be considered that it's psychosis because there's a second entity from the main person. I gotcha. I I just didn't know if like maybe internally from his point of view, that's how DID worked. Oh, Clarence is talking for me. But I thought that would be an interesting way to think about it. Like Clarence is talking for me because Tyler Durden's now talking to, you know, like now I got a Clarence, you know, he does the talking for me. I didn't so know. Do you if... want me to mind screw you guys really bad real quick? Sure. Yeah. Well, I was already going to have nightmares when I go to sleep now. So why <laughs> yeah, not? thanks, Ben. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Ben. Here for you. So there's this thing called folia du that's French. And it's, it's French for madness shared by two. Okay. Or dependent psychotic disorder. And this isn't naturally something that we see a ton of, but what if our boy George was psychotic? Okay. Okay. And then Clarence, a homeless guy sitting on the street, living under that bridge, was there. And Clarence is a passive personality. George is a very forceful personality. So that means Clarence would be dependent on George. And let's just say they have a conversation because he goes from being somewhere else and then he's on the bridge. We don't see the events leading to him getting to the bridge. So let's just say 
that George starts telling Clarence, you're an angel. You're an angel and you're going to save my life tonight. And Clarence doesn't necessarily believe it at first, but because George is so forceful in his belief, he gets Clarence to start thinking, yeah, I am an angel. Hmm. And I'm going to jump in the water first and George is going to come save me. That is some cool shit. <laughs> wow. Is there any way we can fit like Capgraw into this somehow? Like, yeah, maybe- like Capgraw syndrome? <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Seriously, uh, uh, fully ado. I've seen it once clinically. That sounds very interesting. When somebody comes in for that, do you have to see both people to figure it out? Most of the time, the only impact that you can have is to treat the independent person. The forceful one. Right? You have to get them to start believing because the dependent person probably has some kind of personality dysfunction that makes them so dependent that they won't change their perception because of the other. Yeah, I can see that. And you see this, yeah. Charles Manson, one of his followers thought he was like the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's definitely that folia do. Folia do. That is fantastic. Even now, some of his people still think he is. And they've been incarcerated for decades. Yeah, and he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> they still, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. That's a good way to wrap up, I think. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I, again, it's not often I'm lost for words, but Eric's done it a few times tonight. That's why we bring him back. <laughs> that, they, don't, yeah. they don't call him the, the best guest host in baseball for no reason there, Ben. So, well, Tom, is there anything you want to say? Because uh, I'm kind of. Yeah. First of all, I fully support a international ban on Ben picking movies for us to dissect during holiday seasons, at least. Any other time, sure. But holidays, I don't know. Second, Eric, as always, thank you. You are welcome. I don't care if you contact us and be like, hey, I'm bored. Let's do a podcast. I'm like, done. We will rearrange our schedule and get you on the show, sir. So you are always uh, welcome at Just Some Podcast. Third, I'm going to go drink this awesome eggnog that will get you drunk off like three shots. And then I'm going to bed. So thank you guys for the holiday spirit that is now draining out of me like I'm hemorrhaging. You may be upset that I picked the movie and you're going to ban me from the movie, but apparently it's the number one Christmas movie. So, I mean, I think I may at least had that right. By Entertainment Weekly standards, by Tom standards, it's kind of hard to be. I mean, there's Die Hard. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that Die I would two. go with. No. <laughs> Die, Die Hard 2. I listen to your Die Hard podcast. Excellent work. Really <laughs> cultivating the minds of our trauma providers <laughs> out there. Excellent work. Gentlemen. Yes. Would it hurt if you fell downstairs? That's the type of tough subject we tackle here at Just Some Podcast. So this guy got shot four times, and he is still moving. Yeah. yeah. Something's wrong. They used a small caliber bullet on a large caliber man. That's what happened there, boys. But I honestly had a great time, actually, especially learning, Eric, if nothing else, you taught me to sometimes... And I can apply this in more than just mental health issues is what things did I miss or or have I not put myself in their perspective? Like you said, George wasn't even thinking about suicide until he Potter pointed out he was worth more dead than alive. This was the last act of sacrifice he could perform. So maybe this wasn't selfish. You know, maybe this was him trying to do what he thought was best for his family. And honestly, I, I will throw it out. 41 years. I've never considered that point of view. And in tonight alone, I just now realized maybe. I try and do it anyways, but now I, I feel like it's time to make a focused effort on, on some of the things I may treat. One of my mentors, he used to talk to patients because when patients start to get better, they, they have this idea, man, how could I have thought like that? And then there's this guilt that they were literally about to end their lives and they had three kids at home depending on them. But, and, and he used to say this, uh, he'd say, a suicidal brain is a sick brain. It's not working. We need to help get it better. And I think if nothing else, that's where we were at with George. There was probably a bunch of other ways that he could have got out of that situation. But his brain was sick. It only saw what was right in front of him. And he was going to make a, a permanent decision for a temporary problem. 
So then he forced Clarence into slavery. Yeah, we heard you. So <laughs> poor Clarence. Where'd he end up? Nobody knows where he went. We assume because the bell rings, he got wings. He's got wings, yeah. yeah. Or George threw him off a bridge into a river with uh, some cement blocks this time. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe Clarence saw too much. Maybe he didn't like that bedsheet underwear he was wearing under his clothes. Who knows? Okay. That's enough. Enough, Tom. Hashtag where is Clarence? Yeah. Hashtag. Let's, let's yeah. get it going globally, kids. Yes. Let's go. Hashtag. What happened to Clarence? That'll be the first episode of Will Continue. Yeah, first episode of Will Continue to Monitor is not going to be the search for Clarence. <laughs> On that note, this should be coming out right around Christmas, if not Christmas Day. So, if you're out there. Love on your family and take care of each other. As Eric said, be a Clarence. And uh, we all need to try to do better about that. So have a great week. Eric, any last words? No, thank you all so much, as always, for having me on the show. All right. And everybody, please stay safe out there. But swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. Some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times You say I should have known